uh, this past week, maybe you saw in the email. But it refers to the other day uh, I was at a school, and for 30 years I've been blessed to be able to go into high schools and middle schools and do school assemblies and, and, and to share the good news and encouragement. And uh, this week I was at a small school in the middle of, I'm going to say nowhere right now, so you don't have to know who it is, but I went to pull into the parking lot, and I know I'm at a small school when I pull in and I have to dodge two horses and the people on the horses in, in, in the school parking lot. I'm going, okay, they got FFA. What's going on here is equestrian therapy. That's pretty awesome, right? So I get into the school, and the, and the secretary is about the only adult I see. She calls down a sophomore who's involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. This young man takes me, and we're walking through the hall, and we're just, I mean, I see I, a couple kids milling around in the hallway. Again, I don't see any teachers. Uh, we, got, we stop at one room. It's like, hey, Timmy, Susie, you know, they come out. Like, These guys go to FCA. Hey, how, how you good? And, you know, and boom, it's off to the next room. And then we finally get to the gym. We get the gym all set up. Again, I've not had any adult really come in and say, hey, here's how the assembly's going down. So I guess, you know, this is how we're going to roll, right? All the students get in. They're all over the place. It's the first time they've had a school assembly since COVID. So it's, I'm like, oh, this could be disrespectful. This could be crazy, right? Well, they're all seated. And, and the young man with the mic- gets up with the microphone. like, hey, this is uh, Rex Stump. He's a director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He's also a pastor at a church. Uh, hey, respect, man. Listen to him. All right. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Uh, and I did my assembly, got done, and I'm looking around like, guess it goes back to you, Anthony. So, you know, Anthony grabs the mic, he gets, he's like, hey, um, so uh, good job. Let's hear it for him. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, hey, if you go to FCA, and they just started like three weeks ago, come on down. So about a dozen kids come out of the, the, the bleachers, and they, they line up. And it's like nothing like calling all the Jesus kids out, right? Let's just put them in front of the school. And he's like, yeah, they all go to FCA, and hey, we meet on Mondays and Fridays. We meet twice a week during lunch. Come on out. It's really awesome. And, and uh, hey, my mom had surgery today, and so let's pray for my mom right now, would you? Bow your heads. And it's like, I'm going, all right. <laughs> We're praying for this young man's mom who just had surgery, and he was emotional about it. And he, then he prays for the student body, and he's like, and all God's people said, amen. You know, and everybody's like, amen. And he's like, all right, go back to seventh, class, seventh period class. <laughs> and they got up and left. And I'm thinking, that was crazy. Um, I got my car and I'm, I'm driving away. And, and this song came on the radio. And I'm thinking, yes, yes, exactly. Because in the lyrics, in the second verse, it says, Who brings a Bible to a public school? Who shares the gospel even when the world calls them a fool? And I'm going, it just happened here. Um, and, and I was thinking about it. Is it, is it crazy that we call our schools a mission field? Is it crazy that we, we talk to Jesus whom we cannot see? Is it crazy to believe that there could be a revival in this nation? Is it crazy to believe in a, a Bible, these, these words written thousands of years ago? Is it crazy to find peace and joy when all around the world things are going crazy, right? Is it crazy to believe that this Jesus is coming back again? Is it crazy to believe... That a God of this universe loves you. If you call that crazy, sign me up. I'm your head lunatic, okay? Um, yes, it might be crazy, but I, I, I believe it all. I am, I am one of those crazy people. And we are in the middle of a sermon series right now called You Are Loved. And as I've been talking about how you are loved by the God of this universe, sometimes it just seems sort of crazy, right? 
that this God, the creator of all heavens and earth, looks down on you and says, I love you. And here's the thing. If you can understand who it is that loves you and how you are loved, it changes how you will live. No doubt about it. So I was thinking about this, again, trying to describe God's love. So let's say it's Valentine's, and, and um, I'm, I'm going to go up to my someone special and say, I love you, and I'm going to give you this, because nothing's better than Reese's, right? So you give them, you give them this candy, and this, I love you. Okay, so if that's how we describe love, how do you describe God's love? It'd be like God walking up to me and handing me the keys to a chocolate factory and says, I love you. And I've got 12 more like this, only bigger. Blows my love away, right? I mean, that's God's love. It is so huge, you can't even measure it. It is describable and yet indescribable. It is um, the very nature of God. And as I said a few weeks ago, we said God's love is sacrificial. It's holy. It's limitless. It's tenacious. It is trustworthy. It's all these things and so much more. Scripture, as we shared last week, reveals that Jesus Christ is God. So when I say you are loved by God, what I'm saying is, what does God look like? We look at Jesus Christ. You can see what God's love looks like because Jesus is God. Somewhat maybe confusing, but it's revealed through Jesus. Scripture that we have up there, John chapter 1, verses 29 and 34. John the Baptist, it says, the next day, John, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A few verses later, he says, I testify, he is the chosen one of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So church, with the scripture, what I was trying to bring out last week is that Jesus Christ is the chosen one of God. He is the Messiah, the Lamb of God. God loves us so much that he sacrificed himself. It's like the ultimate sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, the love of God rescues us, saves us from darkness and separation. And then it just transforms us. It's like uh, the spiritual change that takes place within us. It's like I've been traded to a new team. I've been transferred to a new program. I have a new look, a new attitude. I've got new things that I do because I'm on this new spiritual team, so to say. God's rescuing love, and I think this was basically what, again, the message last week was, God's rescuing love transfers us into a new kingdom and gives us freedom and forgiveness. He paid the price so we wouldn't have to. That is love. Now, with all of that in mind, let's take another step further this week. I want you to uh, think about maybe a time in your life when you blew it. Can you think back to that moment where, where you, you made such a big mistake that you thought, I will never be forgiven for this one. I mean, I, I really messed up. Maybe you thought it was your lack of effort. It was your error. 
It was your negligence that maybe cost your team something. Or maybe it was at work where you did not follow through on something and you lost your job or you caused something at your workplace to just go to a complete mess. Maybe you said something or you did something at home that alienated you from everybody else and caused a family rift. Maybe you went just basically against God's word, against his law. You disobeyed God. We all make mistakes, right? Sometimes it's intentional. Other times it's, it's unintentional. I didn't mean to, but I did. Regardless of what it is that you did or why you did it, intentional or unintentional, we blew it. And we feel shame. We feel guilt. I'm to blame. And that weighs upon us. That emotion is, is heavy. Someone's, someone here is to blame. It's you. And when we hear that, we just we get embarrassed. We don't, so maybe we get defensive. No, it wasn't my, or maybe we just, we just want to just leave. We just, I don't know how to handle it, right? Praise God. I'll say this again. Praise God that he loves us so much. He is willing to forgive you and I and remove all of that blame. Remove all of that guilt. Take away all that shame. That is the love of God. He cleans up our mistakes. He forgives us. He looks at our mess and says, I got this. That's the the rescuing love of God that transfers us from where we are into a new kingdom where we find that freedom and we find that forgiveness. And we find this, he removes all condemnation. All condemnation. If you can sort of imagine this, you're accused of breaking a law and you're in a courtroom. The jury is over here. The judge is up at at the top and you're standing there and you broke the law. You're just waiting to hear what the jury's going to say. And the jury makes their announcement. It's going to be guilty or not guilty. My fate is in their hands. And here it comes. Here it comes. Guilty. I knew I was guilty. They proclaim it. Now it comes to the judge. The judge is now going to announce the verdict of what is going to be my penalty. Right? Because I'm guilty, there's, there's got to be a penalty. Because in life, we've all blown it, right? Spiritually speaking, we've all broken God's laws. We, we've all turned away unintentionally or again, intentionally, most of us, right? It doesn't matter. We're guilty. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short. We're all guilty. No, no jury is needed to announce this. I don't have to look over the jury and look at God and like, oh, I'm going to wait for the jury. No jury needed. We're guilty. And here's the amazing thing. God looks at us as we stand before this holy, holy, holy God, pure God, sinless God that we just sang about. And he looks at us and he looks at our sin and he says, you're forgiven. You're innocent. How can it be? Because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He paid the price. It's like God looks at us, but he looks through Christ who paid the price. And he says, you've been forgiven. Open up your Bibles to the book of John chapter 3. There is forgiveness and pardon from God. And in John chapter 3, we we learn that Christ came to save us. And not to condemn us. 
It's a verse that many of you have probably memorized. John 3.16. This is how God so loved us. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You've maybe memorized that verse. It is a powerful verse. Do not underestimate this verse. It is the true gospel for us as Christians. But don't miss the next couple verses. Look at verse 17 and 18. God sent his son into the world, not to judge, and you could put the word condemn in there, the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. They've already been condemned for not believing in God's one and only son. See, most people don't like this teaching from God's word. They don't want to look at the book of John and, I don't agree with that. You don't, it's okay if you don't want to agree with it. That's truth. Whether you agree with truth or not, but that's truth. And here's the thing. It's a fact. Sin has consequences. Every day we make choices. Every choice has a consequence. When we make bad choices, there are bad consequences. The Bible tells us a bad consequence is separation from a holy God. There's judgment alienation from God. But here's the good news, and that's what this verse is all about. Jesus Christ came to save us, not condemn us, not to judge us. What does condemn mean? Basically this. To condemn is the act of condemning and or decreeing or inflicting a penalty upon. Jesus came to save us, not condemn us. He didn't come here to put a penalty on you. I was like, well, Jesus is like mad at me. He's like like penalizing me. No, he came to save you from the penalty. That's love. As a matter of fact, Jesus was condemned in our place. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, one of my favorite verses, but I'm going to read a couple more verses along with it. Says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. Church, listen very carefully. If you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved, right? There's no condemnation for you. You stand before a holy God and He says, and He says, I'm not condemning you, I'm not judging you. Look what it goes on to say, verse 2. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 3 says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son, that's Jesus Christ, in a body like the body we sinners have, And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price, right? Verse 4. He did this. Look up here, please. He did this. See what I'm pointing at? He did that. Read on. So that the requirement of the law would be fully satisfied with us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. This powerful, redemptive love of God is the same love that says, you're loved. So when I say, hey, church, you're loved by God, that's the kind of love I'm talking about. 
That's a powerful love. You're loved by a God that forgives you, cleans you, and removes all condemnation. And that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Oh, but we're not done. Because when I say you are love, there's actually a little bit more to that. See, when I say you are love and you've been forgiven and condemnation's been removed, you know what that means now? You're part of his family. You are in his family. I don't know if you know where your birth certificate is. You might need it. Some of you, if you've got younger kids, it's like I need it for school or they're on a team or, or I always got to find their birth certificate, right? So you may be having a drawer and a safe somewhere kept where you can find it, hopefully, right? But if you pull out that birth certificate, what is it? It's, it's proof of the fact that you were born, where you were born, to whom you were born. And who's your family, right? So you're, you're able to find out all this information on that one little certificate. In your Bibles, you're in John chapter 3. Go back two chapters to John chapter 1. I've often referred to this as your spiritual birth certificate. John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10. Where it talks about Jesus saying that he came, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. Even they rejected him. Now look at verse 12. Here's your, here's your spiritual birth certificate. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We'll pause. Because there's some false information that floats around that, that we're all children of God. When John 1.12 says, no. To those who believe and accept him, they have what? The right to become children of God. Here's your birth, birth, spiritual birth certificate right here. John 1, 12. Verse 13, they are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. God loves you. You are loved by God. So much that he says, I'm calling you my child. You're mine. You belong in my family now. I, I love you so much. And here's the thing. When you're born into a family, you, you are born with probably some kind of genetic makeup that people look at that baby and say, oh, you look like your mom. You look like your dad. I'm always like, I don't know. You look like a baby. Right? But some people are really good with spotting the similarities with babies in the family. And sometimes there's, there's hereditary thing, uh, makeup, that, whether it's maybe some kind of a disease or I've got this from my, my great-grandparents, my parents, they had dealt with this. Now I'm dealing with it. I, I remember growing up, I was a big kid. My, I think my dad said, oh, you got your grandpa's hips. Oh, awesome. Okay. Good to know where those came from, right? I, I didn't fully understand that statement. Not sure. You could have just said you're big bone. That would have worked. But anyway. But when I look at the scripture, I'm looking at this, and here's a different, uh, this is from the NIV. It says, but as many as received him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so I'm, I studied this a little bit more, and basically that word power is, is in the Greek. It wasn't in the NLT, the translation that I first read. But in the original Greek, this word is added in. That power is a delegated authority. You see, when we are born of God, when we join his family, he says, I'm going to give you some benefits. One of it is delegated authority. I'm going to give you power. And then you start reading through scripture and say, well, what else does it mean to be a child of God? He calls you his masterpiece. He says, your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. All of a sudden you start looking like, these are great benefits. 
My sin has been removed. I am a masterpiece. I have a great inheritance. I'm loaded. I'm a part of the, the richest, and I'm not talking money. I'm part of the richest family that could ever be. Church, look around. Look at somebody next to you and say, I have it all. Go ahead, tell them. Look around. Say, I have it all. Go for it. Look the other direction. Tell the other person, I have it all. You do. You have, we have it all in Christ. But here's the thing. Though we have it all, it's not about the benefits. It's about the one who gives the benefits. See, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the shepherd, that Jesus Christ is like that shepherd who, who leaves the 99 to go get the one. I don't know if you remember that a couple of weeks ago. In the book of John chapter 10, we learn about the good shepherd. Okay, so we're talking more about this shepherd, right? As the Christ figure. But, oh wait, we can find him again in the Old Testament. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We're probably very familiar with that. In your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23 with me, please. Old Testament. I want, I want to focus on this scripture the rest of this morning. Because I want you to understand what it means to be a part of God's family. You are loved. You're no longer condemned. You're forgiven. You're part of the family. What does that look like? What does it mean to be part of a family? It says in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I have it all, right? He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. You see, the, right here in this, the, the good shepherd, our Lord God is our shepherd. I have all I need in him. That's what the psalmist is saying. I get to rest in the green meadows. I get to sit beside the quiet streams. I have renewed strength. I've got right paths in life. These are great benefits. This is what it means to be loved. You have access to all of this. But there's more. Look at verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, as we continue in life, and it's like it says in these verses, we're going to walk through some dark moments in our life. There's going to be some dark valleys in our life. There's going to be challenging times in our life. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be pain. There's going to be loss. There's going to be wars. There's going to be $2,000 a gallon gas. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going on in our world right now that's like, can it get any worse? Those are called dark valleys, right? The valley of the shadow of death. And so when I look at this, it says, even when. What are my even whens? What's your even when? Even when I'm disappointed, you walk with me. Even when I get bad news, you are with me. Even, even when I don't get my way, you're with me. Even when somebody dies, you're with me. What is your even when? I look in the Old Testament, Joseph, Moses. Oh, they had a lot of even wins. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young men, they were like, bow to this statue and worship this king or be thrown in a fiery furnace. And they're like, we don't bow to anybody but God. So sorry, king, not bowing to your idol. Well, then you're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. That's fine. Even if we get thrown in there, our God can save us. And even if our God doesn't save us, we're not going to bow. That is strong faith, is it not? 
Even when, right in that moment. But what happens? They still got thrown in the fire. I mean, God could have said, oh, I love your faith, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Thanks for standing up for me and not bowing. But uh, you're still going to the furnace, right? I mean, God could have went, furnace is out. Now what, right? But he didn't. He's like, sorry, thanks for bowing or not bowing. You're going to the furnace. And I'll be there with you. And that's what happened, that story. As they walked around in the fiery furnace, a fourth figure appeared. And it was the Lord, right? God's with us. And in stories like that, it's amazing. Paul, Silas, they obediently served as missionaries, traveling all over, sharing the good news. And you know what? They got a lot of people mad. Because they shared that Jesus is the only way. And there was miracles and there was great teaching. But people still got mad. And so there was beatings. There was imprisonment. And it was like, they're in prison. They're like, is this what we get for being a faithful follower? Yeah, that's your even then moment. Regardless of whatever situation, will you trust God? Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's the, what's the thing? Will we trust our shepherd? He's there beside us. Remember what scripture says, God's with us. Even when. I walk through the darkest valley. I'll not be afraid. See that last part? You are close beside me. That's what it means to be part of God's family. God says, I love you. And even when you're going through the dark times, I'm there with you. So when you're praying to me, instead of saying, God, I'm in a storm. How about, hey God, thanks for being with me in my storm. Because I'm with you in your storm. We have all these benefits. Look back at the first three verses. We have green metals. We have peaceful streams. We have renewed strength. We have the right direction, the right path. We lack nothing. We do not lack rest. We do not lack life. We do not lack direction. We have all that we need, even in the darkest valleys. We have it all. And a few more things. Look at the next verse. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The shepherd is armed and he's ready to use force if necessary. Do you ever think about that? Remember the good shepherd who left the 99 in search of the one? We got done that Sunday after I preached that message and, and uh, my son came to me and said, Hey dad, did you ever read First Samuel chapter 17 and about David who was a shepherd? And, and did you ever see what David's reply was to the king when when he said, hey, I'll go fight Goliath. And the king's like, you can't, you're just a little boy. David's like, I'm a shepherd, right? Look what scripture says. It says, David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Ooh, that's a shepherd. Sometimes our shepherd who's there that walks with us protects us. He's armed and dangerous because he's going to protect his sheep. And I thought, wow, God's equipped, isn't he? God is is so victorious that he even, look at this next part of the verse, prepares a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I, I love this. It's like he sets up a table 
filled with all this food in the midst of our enemies. Fear, anger, whatever other minions the devil has that surrounds us that's going on in our life. God's like, sit down at the table with me. We're going to do this in the midst of my enemies because I'm victorious and they can't touch you. So let's just sit here. Yeah, I know what's going on around you, but I'm victorious over all of that. That table that he's prepared for you and I is for you and the shepherd. It's for you and God. Can you imagine? Nobody else, even the enemy, can sit at that table. It's just you and Jesus, and you're sitting at that table. And if you're a salad eater, you pick whatever you want on your salad, and you fix that salad up as big as you want it. And oh, if you're a meat eater, you've got steak. If you want chicken, you got chicken. You want fish, you got fish. Whatever it is that you want, right? Appetizer? I don't cheese, cracker, I don't, I don't care. Dessert? Oh, you know, you know, it's, but if it's me and my shepherd, if it's me and my God, you all know what dessert's at that table. Peanut butter pie, it's sitting right there, right? And God said, I got some extra peanut butter taste in there. It's got a little Reese's taste to it. Like, oh, God, you are good, right? But here's the thing, that table is loaded, but it's not for me to be stuffed. It's for me to be satisfied. It's not for me to be all this gluttony, and it's for godliness. It's like, it's just be satisfied. Look at it all. You don't have to eat it all now. It'll be around. It'll be here tomorrow. Because I prepared this table for you. This is what God's prepared for us. And we, we look at it and we see it's like, this is awesome. Look at all this food. It's like, oh, the benefits, right? But it's not about the benefits, is it? Once again, it's not about the benefits. It's about the one who's at the table with you, that prepared it for you. Thank you for the fruit of love. But it's you, the lover of my soul. Thank you for the fruit of peace. But it's the prince of peace who sits here with me. That's what it's about. Listen, godly people, it's not just about being loving. We are worshipers of God. We all worship something. The question just comes down to, what is it that you worship? There's a whole list. Money, sports, sex, education, your job, the games on your devices, your bank statement, your calendar. They all tell what you worship. Look where you're spending your money. Look where you're spending your time. Those are probably the things you probably worship. You didn't realize it, right? Here's the thing. We can't sit at the table and worship the shepherd if we're off being distracted by other things that we worship. It's hard to sit down at that table, isn't it? It's hard to pay attention when we're at the table, when everything else is going on. Now, I don't know about you, but who's at your table it sort of determines your action and behavior, right? At home, growing up, if it was family, anything goes. I remember we say pass the bread. We literally picked up a roll and we would throw it across the table. If we were passing the butter, we would try to get the other person's thumb in the stick of butter when we passed it. I mean, you know, noises were made. People belched at the table, right? People put their elbows on the table. We, you know, maybe the TV was on, you know, there might be an argument. There might be a discussion. I mean, there's anything goes when it's family, right? Would that change if you had a guest at the table? Does everybody act a little bit different when there's a guest in the house at the table? Does your behavior change when your boss, maybe the president of a business, 
Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a nun or a missionary or the pastor. Sounds like a joke. A nun, a missionary, a pastor walk into your house and yeah, fill the punchline. I, I remember growing up hearing, hey, so-and-so is coming over for dinner tomorrow. It was usually a missionary from our church or something. It's like, you know what that means? It probably means we're not going to sit at the kitchen table. We're probably not going to use paper plates. We're going to use the nice plates. And we're going to be in the dining room. And we are going to be on our best behavior, right? I mean, everybody straighten up and, and let's, let's look godly now at the table, right? Who's at your table sometimes dictates how you behave. But here's the crazy thing. Remember this, God already knows what you're like. He knows that you don't always pray before a meal. He knows that you probably put your elbows on the table. He knows that you belch at the table. He knows what you, he knows everything about you. But he still says, I want to sit at the table with you. Knowing what you're like, I still want to be with you at the table. Because we're family. We've been forgiven. No longer condemned. You're his child. Enjoy the presence of God at your table. But remember, he's the one to be honored. First Timothy 1.17 says, All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He's the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. It's impossible. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. I love in the book of Job this description because a lot of us, we don't, we don't read Job. We read like the first and last part of it, right? But it's in between there, chapter 24, 26, it says this. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundation of, of heaven trembled. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful. His power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of what all he does. Merely a whisper of his power. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Man, can you imagine the conversation around the table with God? I'm just sitting there trying to think. It's like, what would that be like? So God, what would you do today? Oh, you forgave a bunch of messed up people. Yeah, that probably kept you busy. Yeah. Oh, and you kept the universe moving. <laughs> Whew, that's that's. Pretty big, right? Oh, you kept the oceans from spilling into the inlands. Wow, that's, that's, that's big. Me? Oh, I, um, I mowed the lawn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you created it. <laughs> Good job. Uh, I like the green. Oh, there's more colors than green? More colors than Crayola can invent? Wow, God, you're awesome. Can you imagine the conversations with God? Church, you are loved. Because I'd be sitting at that table having that conversation and I would feel about this big and I'd say, why am I even at the table with you? And he looks at me and he says, because you are loved. That's why you're here. So how do we respond to this? Let's wrap this up. 
How do we respond to this? Really simple. I heard about a man, he borrowed a book from a friend, and he was reading through it, and he saw these letters along the sides on certain pages. It was uh, the letters YBH. YBH. And he's like, he kept reading through it, and he got to the end of the book, went back, gave it to his friends, and says, hey, I really enjoyed the book, but I have to admit, I kept seeing letters YBH all throughout the book. What did that mean? And he said, it's really simple. It means, yes, but how? Because when I was reading something, I thought, that's a great truth. That's a great principle. That's something I should apply in my life. Yes, but how? How do I apply this? And when I think about what I just got done preaching to you, this might be one of those moments where like, a, yes, yes, I want to be at his table. Yes, I am loved. But how do I do this? Let me just say this. Just come sit down at the table. Your table might be your comfy chair. It might be a, room, uh, a certain room in your house. Sit down at the table, get quiet with him. Let him feed you and provide that everlasting water. We are hungry and thirsty for truth that we will not find on the news, okay? But you'll find it in his word. You'll find refreshment there. Imagine sitting down with him, open up your Bible, and just read and spend time with him. Picture a feast, a buffet, as you turn from page to page, and he wants to share it with you. You can worship him with prayer too. Just talk to him. You're like, I don't know how to talk to God. Just for its acts, A-C-T-S. Adore him. God, you're awesome. You're powerful. You're mighty. Look at the pictures of maybe creation, something like for those of you that were out west or down south, you got to see God's creation a lot different than Flatland, Ohio, right? And in those moments, I hope you're able to sit to say, God, I love the mountains. I love the ocean. Thank you for the uniqueness of the creatures that you put in the ocean. I mean, wow, you're good. C is confession. God, I'm sorry. I have T is thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for friends. Thank you for church. S is supplication. God, help those in need. Help so-and-so at the hospital. Scott, we prayed for you. Good to see you back there, brother. That's what we pray for. That's the S right there. Supplication, right? Worship team, would you come forward, please? Um, When I was growing up, I always heard this. Time to eat. Always came from mom, right? It's time to eat. So let me ask you this. Some of you parents probably still use that phrase. Hey, it's time to eat. When that phrase comes blasting out, do you come running to the table? Or are you like, "Um, in a few minutes, I got stuff to do. Ah, I can't eat right now. I'm postponing this. I'm just skipping a meal or whatever, you know. God's calling you and I. Come and eat. Come to the table. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't skip a meal. Come join him at the table. Would you stand, please? You are loved by God. Forgiven. No longer condemned. No longer blamed. You are family. You're invited to the table. Not in a minute. Not tomorrow. Not when you get things right with God. You already got it right with God. Come to the table now. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. That you love us so much. That you look into our lives and you you forgive us when we do not deserve it. 
and you cleanse us. And it's not like we have to wash our hands before we come to the table because you've already washed us. And we're clean. And you want us to sit at that table and just fellowship with you. Oh, the benefits are great, but it's more about being there with you. And God is so amazing because we think it's going to be this perfect scene, but he said in this scripture that you prepared that table for us in the presence of our enemies. So in this world, when we got all kinds of evil things going on around us, you are still inviting us to sit at the table with you. Even when we are walking through dark clouds, you are there besides us. God, thank you that we can be part of your family. Thank you for what your son did on the cross for us. You love us. Help us now to respond by worshiping you. We love you, Lord. In our name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.